This is the Bible Book Club. And we're in Deuteronomy. Welcome Welcome to to the club. When last we left you on Bible Book Club in chapters five and six, we were really getting into it and it was rich. So we started talking about Moses and the second sermon to the Israelites. Moses started this sermon with a challenge to obey the Ten Commandments. Then he moved to the motivation to obey the commandments, love. In chapter six, verse four, we read the Shema or the prayer that is still recited by Jews today. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Jesus used the Shema in combination with Leviticus 19.18 to form the first and second greatest commandments in Matthew 22.37, and that was my Bible bender, my personal Bible bender from last episode. And he said in verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And it was a Bible bender for me because not that I didn't know that Jesus really knew the scriptures well, but he just takes everything to another level. And it's because he knows better than us. So we should listen to what he says. It's like he pulls it all together in just a brilliant way. Yeah. He takes the complication. What did I say last week? The comp makes it less complex Old Testament and boils it down super simply in the New Testament. Right. All right. Moses is on a roll and he continues with Sermon 2, Just Do It, in this episode. Now, the Israelites' to-do list grows this episode with three must-dos for Israel's success in the promised land. And while all blessings abound if they just do it, death awaits if they don't. It's a do or die list of sorts. And here are the three things he wants them to do. Do destroy the nations currently living in the promised land. Do depend on the Lord and do not become self-righteous. Sounds easy. Chapter seven. Here is our first must do. Destroy the nations living in the promised land. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you're entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. This is what you are to do to them. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their Azura poles, and burn their idols in the fire. The destruction described is harsh in these verses. The Israelites are commanded to destroy the descendants of the land. Now, the Israelites are descendants of Noah's son, Shem. These people, collectively called Canaanites, are descendants of one of Noah's other sons, Ham, and Ham's son, Canaan. 
Ham and Canaan sinned against Noah in a perverse way. You can listen to season one, episode 10 for those details. Their reputation as a people is even worse than their forefathers. From archaeological artifacts and from their own literature that has been found, it was discovered that the Canaanites' worship was polytheistic and included idolatry, religious prostitution, divination, and even child sacrifice. So if this sounds harsh, these were not good people. Further, in Genesis 15, God told Abraham that in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back to Canaan for the sin of the Amorites. These are also Canaanites has not yet reached its full measure. So God knew that these people were just going to become more and more and more sinful. At the time he told this to Abraham, Abraham was in Canaan and he said, you're going to come back when their sin has reached more than I can tolerate. The fourth generation has come and it is time. God cannot tolerate this level of sin that the Canaanites have reached. Additionally, the Israelites are commanded, do not make a treaty with these people. Do not show mercy to these people. Do not marry these people. Do not give your daughters or sons to them. Do abolish their altars. Do smash their sacred stones. Do cut down their Asherah poles and do burn their idols. Now, why should the Israelites destroy the Canaanites? Verse six, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. So first, we've already discussed because their sin has reached the fullness that God can tolerate. But second, they must destroy the Canaanites for their own protection. They are a treasured possession. Their relationship with God depends on their purity. You can listen to season three on Leviticus and episodes six and seven for a greater understanding of what I mean by when I say purity. But if they mingle with the Canaanites, they will be tempted to sin and that will result in their breaking the covenant with God. And ultimately it will result in their own destruction. Do you think this was God's way of fulfilling that covenant that he made with Noah when he said he would never just wipe everybody out again in a flood? He needed some way to be able to destroy all of the sin that was happening. And so he created this new way saying, you Israelites, when you go and you have to blot them out. Right. I don't know. I mean, that's definitely worth thinking about. Um, because yes, these are clearly super sinful people. They have a heritage of sin. Um, but I don't know. Because God had to keep that promise. Oh yeah. He definitely said he'd never flood the earth again. Um, all right. So why are the Israelites chosen? Verse seven, the Lord did not set his affection on you and chose you because you were more numerous than other peoples for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. But those who hate him, he will repay to their face by destruction. He will not be slow to repay to their face 
those who hate him. Therefore, take care to follow the commands, decrees, and laws I give you today. Why the Israelites were chosen is one of the mysteries of the Bible. It had nothing to do with them. They did not earn it. They were small in number. Actually, they're still small in number. The same goes for why we are chosen. God has a self-motivated love for humanity at large and for Israel in particular. Now, Paul has a particular opinion on the mystery of God's love for the Israelites and how this will all end for them in Romans eleven twenty-five. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel is experiencing a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. So they too have now become disobedient in order that they may too now receive mercy as the result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Now, this indeed is still a mystery, for there are so many other verses in the Bible we could look at for more detail on what exactly all the Israelites means. The commentaries are a lovely rabbit hole. I never got to the bottom of on this, which is as it should be because Paul himself calls it a mystery. The good news for all is that God's love comes with a promise. He is a faithful God and will keep his covenant of love with those who love him. All right. Next, Moses is going to outline the blessing for Israel's obedience. Back to Deuteronomy verse 12. If you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you as he swore to your ancestors. He will love you and bless you and increase your numbers. He will bless the fruit of your womb, the crops of your land, your grain, new wine, and olive oil, the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks, and the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. You will be blessed more than any other people. None of your men or women will be childless, nor will any any of your livestock be without young. The Lord will keep you free from every disease. He will not inflict on you the horrible diseases you knew in Egypt, but he will inflict them on all who hate you. You must destroy all the peoples the Lord your God gives over to you. Do not look on them with pity and do not serve their gods, for that will be a snare to you. So we're still discussing, you know, number one, here is what you must do. Destroy the nations living in the promised land. If they obey, then they will be blessed with a promise that goes back to Genesis and that patriarch so loved by God, Abraham. In Genesis 17, it says this. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, 
As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan Where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Note the fulfillment of this prophecy today, thousands of years later. God said he would make Abraham the father of many nations. At this point in Deuteronomy, that promise was still evolving, but today it is a reality. And we just talked about this, what, three or four episodes ago? Abraham has fathered many nations and three major religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Again, go back to the beginning. If if you don't know what we're talking about, start in season one. But how are the Israelites to defeat the Canaanites? Verse 17, you may say to yourselves, these nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? But do not be afraid of them. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. You saw with your own eyes the great trials and signs and wonders, the mighty hand and outstretched arm with which the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God will do the same to all the peoples you now fear. Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among them until even the survivors who hide from you have perished. Do not be terrified by them, for the Lord your God who is among you is a great and awesome God. The Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once, or the wild animals will multiply around you, but the Lord your God will deliver them over to you, throwing them into great confusion until they are destroyed. He will give their kings into your hand, and you will wipe out their names from under heaven. No one will be able to stand up against you. You will destroy them. The images of their gods you are to burn in the fire. Do not covet the silver and gold on them, and do not take it for yourselves, or you will be ensnared by it, for it is detestable to the Lord your God. Do not bring a detestable thing into your house, or you, like it, will be set apart for destruction. Regard it as vile and utterly detest it, for it is set apart for destruction. So how will the Israelites conquer the Canaanites? All by their little selves? No. They won't. No. In almost every one of these 10 verses that Heather just read lies the answer. The Lord your God, the Lord your God, the Lord your God, the Lord, their God is going to do this, defeat the Canaanites. And Moses begins by saying, remember well, a phrase that we have discussed that means put a hedge of thorns around what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh. Because if you protect that memory, You will not doubt what God can do to conquer Canaan. I wish, again, (laughs) I need the Lord your God plastered all over my house. It's subliminal advertising. For those of you who are business majors, you studied subliminal advertising. Marketing majors, really. (laughs) Exactly, marketing majors. Moses knew this. It's like he's inserting that those three words everywhere again. The Lord your God, the Lord your God, the Lord your God. All right, the question for us is this. What has the Lord your God promised you? And what has he already done for you that you need to remember and protect with a hedge of thorns to give you the confidence to do more for the Lord your God? 
chapter eight and number two of what Moses says is a must do. Here's what you must do. Depend on the Lord. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness those 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. Why should the Israelites depend on the Lord? Because he saved the Israelites from certain death under the harsh whip of Pharaoh's slave drivers. Because even when they rebelled against him, he did not abandon them. In fact, he literally fed and kept them alive for 40 years in the wilderness. Therefore, they should trust and obey him with their lives going forward. Now, why should you depend on the Lord? What has he saved you from? What has he saved you for? Well, that would be different for everyone, depending <laughs> on what their um, what the promises are that God has given them. But I will say this image that you're that you're giving us each time of the hedge of thorns that we got from two episodes ago. It really has been playing out in my mind because I think vivid images are really important. Mm -hmm. And like I'm I'm envisioning this hedge of thorns as something that I need to put guardrails on my life so that if any of these things I'm tempted to not believe God for, that I literally am poking into something and it's hurting me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so like I keep on feeling like I need to put more verses up on my desk at work and put another sign up above my door for my kids that says honor God when they walk out the door. I need to put these hedges of thorns in specific places so that I can't help but remember it and then know because when you remember, then you ha have confidence and then it, it gives you more faith. It increases your faith. Yeah. I don't know. I just keep feeling like I need these more. thorns. I need more thorns. And I'm not talking about the weird people that like take the thorns of Christ and put it on their back. I'm talking about like that visual reminders in you my know, head. You know, it's so funny that you say that because we used to have this bookstore by us called The Sign of the Fish and they went out of business, but I used to always go in there and buy gifts for people and whatever. And I, I would see things that I would buy that would help me. But it is true. That's kind of gone away. I need to do that more too. So good point. Um, what has he saved you from and what has he saved you for? I think that's those are hard questions for all of us to ask. Certainly, he saved us for a purpose and knowing that purpose is really important and encouraging our faith to grow and, and just challenging ourselves. Okay, here's a blessing for, for the Israelites if they depend on God. Verse seven, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack 
Nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. All right, let's put ourselves in their position. Remember, they've been living in the dry, arid wilderness for 40 years. So the blessing of lush prosperity in Canaan is a stark contrast to the only life this second generation has known wandering in the parched desert. The promised land is going to be good because it is described as a good land in this verse. This same Hebrew word for good is used in Genesis when God created the world and described each of those facets of his creation as good. Remember, he created this and he said it was good and he created this and he said it was good. Land, sea, water, fish, animals. He went on and on. The Jews were intimately aware of this description and of the fall where they lost all that was good in the garden. The separation from God that happened at that point has been painful for these people. For 40 years, they have been carting the tabernacle, tents, poles, altars, furniture, yards and yards of curtains, and the ark all over the wilderness. If you don't believe me and want to know the pounds and the ounces of gold translated from shekels and whatever we did. We covered all that in Numbers and Leviticus. It was a lot and it required an entire tribe and parts of other tribes to transport it. Every intricate detail of the furniture and the ark were designed to remind the Israelites of the garden where they walked in God's presence freely. And we went through those descriptions like the candelabra had, um, you know, a certain kind of flower on it that reminded them, the almond flower, remember, and it reminded them. It all was so intentional. And why do they haul the tabernacle? A reminder of what they lost in the garden around? Because it is the only way that that God can dwell in their presence in this sinful world they were living in is to have that most holy place and that Ark of the Covenant. That is the whole purpose of the tabernacle. It is a place where God can dwell in their midst. And that's just that taste of what they had in the garden, but it doesn't come close. The Israelites must long to have a permanent place to rest the ark. They know it won't be eaten when they get it, but will it be better than what they have now in the wilderness? Yes, God promised it when he gave them the promised land. The Israelites are currently aliens. We all are. We were not created to live in this world separated from God. We were created for the garden. We were created to live in relationship with God without sin. The Israelites crave it and the promised land is a step closer to what they lost. If some of this sounds foreign to you and you would like a greater understanding of the fall, the tabernacle, the Old Testament sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins, listen to season one Genesis and season three Leviticus. Now, next is a warning. 
You, like the Canaanites, could be destroyed in the promised land if you do not depend on God. Verse 11, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have multiplied— Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship them bow down to them, I will testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed like the nations the Lord destroyed before you. So you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. The Israelites will face the same destruction as the Canaanites if they forget the Lord and that he is the source of their provision. If they become proud and start to dabble with foreign gods, because then they will be no different than the arrogant Canaanites. And then they will suffer the same fate as the Canaanites. Well, I feel like he was also kind of lifting up the idea that they could potentially fall into idolatry when materialism started to happen, when they actually settled down and built these houses. And I think that's definitely something that we suffer from here in the United States today in our culture, because we have so much. And it's easy to say, my own hands did this. And you have to always try to remember that it was God and God is above you. And don't make sure that you're not putting any of the things that we have today, the luxuries that we enjoy above God. Well, the American dream is to, you know, build your own empire. And so even when you think back years ago, people came to this country because there was that opportunity here. So it's very easy to be self-reliant. Right. Well, what does God say to us about prosperity and pride? Proverbs 16, 16 says this. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get insight rather than silver. The highway of the upright avoids evil. Those who guard their ways preserve their lives. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Whoever gives heed to instruction prospers. And blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Concerning prosperity, God says, wisdom is better. Insight is better, and guarding your way will save your life. Concerning pride, God says, it precedes destruction, and you will fall, and it is better to be oppressed than to share with the proud. The conclusion is this, wisdom and dependence on God bring eternal prosperity. Therefore, like the Israelites, we must depend on God. Chapter nine brings us to our third point. Here's what you must do. Do not become self-righteous. Hear Israel. You are now about to cross the Jordan and go in and dispossess nations greater and stronger than you with large cities that have walls up to the sky. The people are strong and tall, Anakites. You know about them and have heard it said, who can stand up against the Anakites? 
But be assured today that the Lord your God is the one who goes across ahead of you like a devouring fire. He will destroy them. He will subdue them before you. And you will drive them out and annihilate them quickly as the Lord promised you. I think Moses is saying here, don't panic. This passage begins with a now familiar phrase. Hear Israel, which we know means more than just hearing. It means you're going to need to respond to hearing and you need to really focus, which brings urgency and importance to what he's about to say. Moses is escalating in his preaching, maybe out of fear for them. Are they really listening? Can they get it right this time? If the Israelites panic when they face these giant Anakites, as they did at Kadesh Barnea, when the spies reported how big the Canaanites were, will they rebel again? And if they do rebel, will God send them back to the wilderness for another 40 years as he did the first time? Or even worse, will God give up on them totally? Poor Moses. He loves these people. He just wants to get them in the promised land and he wants them to just do it. Do what God says. So I think Moses is preaching it again out of fear. So Moses emphasizes again, this is God's victory, not yours. You just need to obey and show up for the battle. Don't panic. Then when victory is yours, because we know it's going to happen because God's in control. Remember, it's not yours, but God's. Verse four. After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going to take possession of their land. But on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand then that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stiff-necked people. Our third must do, here it is, you know, do not become self-righteous. Moses humbles them as only a shepherd with intimate knowledge of his flock can do. Moses has been with them from the beginning. He knows their sin, for he has suffered the consequences as their leader because of it. And he chastises them by calling them what they are, stubborn and rebellious. God's gift of the land is not about them. So they need to get that out of their head. It is about removing the Canaanites because of their sin. It is about a promise to Abraham. And it is about God's mysterious grace that we still don't understand today, even for ourselves. What about us? Would Moses call us stubborn and rebellious? Are we a part of God's mysterious grace? Moses had the answer for the Israelites. His New Testament counterpart, Paul, has the answer for us. Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh 
and following its desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The Israelites were stubborn and rebellious people. It was by grace that God had a plan for them in the promised land. And yes, Moses today would call us stubborn and rebellious. And yes, it is Christ who has made a way for us to be part of God's mysterious Christ. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to susanme.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio. Edited by Buck Buchanan. Produced by Haley Mawatt.